Okay. So, with that introduction, has anybody thought about why they wanted to come to How to Grow for this 10-week series? Can anyone offer us maybe some motivations as, as to why this was the class that piqued your interest? It's early in the morning, I know, but any volunteers? Come on. One person. Lee. Yeah, practical and applicable to your everyday life. Yes. Yeah, that's a great motivation, just focusing on the spiritual disciplines to grow rather than necessarily all the other areas where you could grow in your life. Make this one the primary of primary importance. That's great. So the um, purpose of this How to Grow class and some of the others in our series is for us as a church to obey the instruction of Ephesians 4 to equip the body to do the work of ministry. Uh, in this particular class will be seeking to gain a biblical understanding of spirituality and sanctification. And we'll define those terms in a little bit. So um, both biblical spirituality and sanctification have their foundation in Christ and his gospel. And we pray that the following studies will be, faith, uh, will be faithful to teach us how to grow in a clear, biblical, and practical way. Uh, we believe that grounding our lessons in the foundation of the word is necessary for the right practice of spiritual disciplines. Over the coming weeks, we'll be looking at uh, the following concepts of spiritual growth. And you can actually see these in your outline here. Um, today, again, is defining uh, spirituality and sanctification as well as what does spiritual and growth mean from a biblical perspective. Next week, we're going to be looking at all of life as worship, which talks about us being sold out, essentially, to Christ and looking at that Romans 12, 1 and 2 uh, passage explaining what it means to be living sacrifices. And we have Dan in the, in the baddest box ready to, to bring that up for us next week. Um, and then we'll move on to, if I can kind of outline where we'll take this, what the spiritual disciplines are, uh, we're going to do bib, uh, Bible intake the following week. That's going to be hearing, reading, and studying the Word of God. Bible intake two is memorizing, meditating, learning, and incorporating Scripture into our life. We will have a combined lesson on prayer and confession of sin uh, next, sort of looking at the command to pray, the content of our prayers, learning how to pray, and then confessions about declaring what we believe and agreeing with God and others about our sin. Serving will be next, which is we're going to talk about the command to serve, the motivations for service, being gifted to serve, and how serving teaches us as we serve. Uh, next, we'll look at stewardship. 
which is all about becoming good stewards of all that God gives, not just talking about money. You'll be glad to hear. And then we'll have two weeks on cultivating the uh, spiritual fruit, which will be a deep dive into the fruits of the Spirit. Two weeks because there's a few that we have to cover. And then finally, uh, fittingly, perseverance is our final class. And that will be looking at the role of the Holy Spirit, fellowship, and struggle in perseverance and how it produces godliness in our lives. So the end of all of these lessons, it is our hope that we will understand that the spiritual disciplines are a means of grace as well as a response to God's grace. And we'll unpack that later. We also learn that we need to guard against a legalistic view of the spiritual disciplines, that we know that spiritual disciplines do not earn us God's favor or approval or salvation. Um, we also should learn that they should not become a distasteful duty or a source of bitter pride. I've done this, so I'm so good. Rather, we would like the spirit, you to see the spiritual disciplines in this way, and I'm quoting somebody here, but I don't have the quotation. Sorry about that. But this very smart person said that the spiritual disciplines will enable us who have been made righteous by Christ to breathe more deeply of the resources that God freely and lovingly provides for the wisdom, joy, and strength of Christian living. So that is our purpose for this entire course. But before we continue into lesson one in particular... I'd like to joyfully introduce my fellow teachers, Dan, Paul, and Greg Luca. They're sitting amongst us here, and they're going to come forward um, uh, real quick, if you don't mind, guys. Um, they're going to help teach, but also ask, answer questions and just be available um, uh, to help as we walk through these spiritual disciplines. So I'm, I've asked them to just do a quick two-minute um, introduction of themselves about testimonies and um and their hopes for for teaching i want to pause the recording real quick uh okay. and greg there we are back on <clears throat> all right actually really good segue into uh, uh introducing uh how we are defining biblical spirituality and sanctification because I wanted to start off by making it clear as we approach the subject of spiritual growth that it is only available to those who have been redeemed through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Uh, no work or attempt to gain righteousness through spiritual disciplines will achieve the favor of God. Only regeneration through the Holy Spirit, repentance from sin, and faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ will give one access to the maturing work of the Holy Spirit. So as you've heard from Dan and Greg and myself and Stephen back there and a number of, of others here, um, please, if you want to find more out about that, um, just come and talk to us later. And we'll be repeating some of those messages as we go through uh, our lessons. Um, so I uh, hope you will be edified by by the teaching from, from Greg and from, from Dan as we move forward. I challenged Greg. I said, you need to develop a colonial accent. 
um, just to fit in with the teaching team. And then I realized he already did have a colonial accent, so uh, we're good. So um, look forward to that. Um, so let us kind of let's turn to a helpful passage. Um, I'm not going to read all of it, but it might just be helpful to be there. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and we'll look specifically uh, verses 11 to 13. And you'll see that that passage calls us to grow into maturity into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then also, and I don't mean you to turn so quickly, but Hebrews 6.1 uh, tells us to go on to maturity. It is in these passages that we can see that as Christians, we are commanded to grow in spiritual maturity. In view of God's mercy, we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We'll find out more about that next week. However, good news God does not command anything that he does not provide the grace and means to accomplish. Through the provision of his Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can grow spiritually. In order to grow spiritually, we must exercise certain prescribed spiritual disciplines. We have the choice as Christians whether we will implement and maintain these in our lives. Relying on the Holy Spirit to exercise these disciplines in us, we will ensure spiritual growth and fruit in our own lives as well as the lives of others. But we obey in these not as a way of earning God's favor or to gain salvation, but in faith, as an acknowledgement of what he has done for us and in the knowledge that he has provided a way for us to live that is best for us as his children. Choosing to be lazy in, to ignore, or to reject these disciplines contains within themselves intrinsic consequences. Often they result in spiritual stagnation, and I think we've all felt that at different times. Sometimes even spiritual atrophy. Um, and then sometimes even apostasy. The Bible has many warnings about falling away. The worst state of this, of course, is not the loss of salvation, but... And 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20 describes the potential shipwrecking of our faith. So, we should not only seek to implement these spiritual disciplines into our lives, but encourage one another to do so as we grow together. So, I'm throwing around a few terms here, and this is what this first lesson is kind of about, is that we want to take these Christianese terms and break them down and come to a biblical definition so that we can all be on the same page and in agreement and uh, look at these things from the perspective of the objective truth of Scripture. It's not my opinion. It's not going to be Dan's opinion. It's not going to be Greg's opinion. We're going to try and define these terms as Scripture defines them so we can truly understand what spiritual growth is all about. So you'll see in your outlines here, I'm going to follow this in, in good chronological order, uh, first one we're going to define is the term spiritual. Um, so let's briefly define that as in spiritual growth. The Greek word is pneumatikos. Um, it's most often used to describe 
that which belongs to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. But is also in other areas used to refer to that part of us which responds to God. So not mind and the body, but the spirit of man as well. And sort of um, that piece of us which um, is eternal. Uh, so let's look at some scriptural examples of that specific definition. Paul uh, uses the term to contrast that which is of the flesh and that which is instead born of the Spirit. So you'll see in uh, 1 Corinthians 3.1 and 15.44-46 where he talks of Christians being a dichotomy of people of the flesh or of the natural and people of the Spirit. This side of heaven, we will struggle with the sins of the flesh, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, helps us to mature as sin is weeded out and righteousness is increased. Praise God. Then we'll see in Romans 1.11, uh, 1 Corinthians 12.1 and 14.1, he talks about spiritual gifts, such as encouragement or service. Um, and these are in... in a distinction to our to natural talents, such as being good at kicking or throwing a football, depending on how you define football, um, or something like mathematics, perhaps. These spiritual gifts are those given by the Holy Spirit for us to use in the ministry of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.13 and Colossians 1.9, he speaks of spiritual wisdom and understanding as opposed to worldly knowledge. True wisdom is that which is discerned through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. So that's uh, Paul helping us to understand what spiritual is all about. Peter um, describes us as living stones desiring spiritual milk and offering spiritual sacrifices so that through Christ we can be built up as a spiritual house. So simply put... Boil it all down. To be spiritual is to be part of the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Our spirit is regenerated by the Holy Spirit so that we can partake in the spiritual kingdom that is being built by him. Does anybody have any questions about the term, how we're defining the term spiritual before we move forward? Make sense? Any corrections? Happy to be corrected? All right. Good. <clears throat> so let's go move on to growth. How do we define growth? A lot of people measure growth by size or numbers, like how many baptisms have we had this year, or how many church members do we have on the roll. But the Bible seems to paint a different picture. New Testament looks at growth from a spiritual Perspective. The Greek word is oxano, and it speaks to causation. We are caused to grow and increase. It's something that happens on the individual level, but also on the corporate level. We grow as Christians in Christ, in salvation, in grace, in knowledge, in love, in maturity. And these things allow us all to grow as a body into the holy temple. So if you look at Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 2, 2 Peter 3, 
you'll be able to see how uh, the New Testament expands on that idea. We're also clear that growth cannot be manufactured by man. Colossians 2.19 and 1 Corinthians 3.6-7 speaks to the truth that growth is something given by God. Uh, In that Corinthians passage, it says, Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So God is the giver of growth. Yes, we exercise the spiritual disciplines and equip others in the body to do so too, but the means and the success of growth are both provided by God through the Holy Spirit. So that is the growth that I'm talking about and we will be talking about. Is there any questions about the term growth in this sense? Or additional comments? Jolly good. Okay. Spirituality. So this is distinct from the term spiritual. Um, We're going to look at the term spirituality as an encompassing term. It describes the interactions within our spirit as opposed to our mind or our body, although it does include that. Um, The word spirituality brings to mind all sorts of different things to different people. I'm looking for a few of you, when I say the word spirituality, what comes to mind? Can you tell me some definitions of spirituality that you may have heard, or perhaps you've heard the world offers to us? And there's probably a hundred, so just a couple. Um, what springs to mind from a worldly perspective when you hear the, hear the term spirituality? Yes. Mm. Yeah, a mystical experience or mindfulness. Yeah, I've heard that. Jacob. It's people who are spiritual but not religious. Yes, yes. Very good. I've heard that too. Any others? Anyone else heard any kind of spirituality? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely sounds um, like what I've heard too. Um, and even amongst Christians in recent decades, um, it's really the term has been emptied of a lot of its meaning. It's usually um, those who disassociate themselves with any type of organized religion. They describe themselves as spiritual if they have an unexplained feeling. Um, it, as I've looked at this, to me, it's, it's a way to answer the metaphysical side of humanity through experience and feelings. But also, it, it is devoid of any commitment to prescribed worship. So the Bible prescribes a type of worship, and it's trying to just getting away from those moorings and define uh, your own spiritual experience. Uh, D.A. Carson puts it like this, not all spirituality is spiritual, depending on our original term, def- definition of the word spiritual. And you know what? The Bible does not actually use the term spirituality. But if we take the term spiritual as defined before and we extrapolate what Scripture has to say about true spirituality, I believe we can come to a good definition. Um, otherwise, if we don't 
define it according to Scripture, then the pursuit of spirituality can devolve into nothing more than the pursuit of an experience. So, and spiritual disciplines can merely become techniques to enable us to attain this experience. So particularly, you're going to think about things like meditation on Scripture, but meditation defined in a completely different way. Um, you know, things like, things like that. So um, let's, let's center, no, I'm just kidding. Let's uh, ground the definition in uh, Scriptures. First of all, it's centered on knowing the triune God. This is opposite to self-centered spirituality that is prevalent in our culture today. It's focused on knowing God as he has revealed himself in the word. We know him as the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, And as Christians, we should seek a relationship that involves all three persons of the Godhead. From the beginning of creation, it has been God's desire that we have a relationship with him. And that is uh, and, and our sole aim is to give him glory for all he has done. God has provided a way for us to truly encounter God in a meaningful way, and that's through the rec- reconciliation process of belief in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So spirituality is all about God, not ourselves. Uh, but about ourselves... It also consists of knowing ourselves in light of Scripture. It is only as we come to know the God of the Bible that we really begin to know ourselves. We think we know ourselves well, what our motivations are and how we can please God, but we come to a passage like Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we don't really know ourselves that way in the end. Before God's majesty, we are humbled at our sinfulness in contrast to God's righteousness and holiness. Without such a revelation of our true nature outside of Christ, there can be no spirituality. Let's look at Isaiah. That's the right way to say it. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, to see one of the biblical description of how man encounters God's holiness. So Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 5. It says that in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So to call God holy is to speak of his transcendence and moral purity. Notice in Isaiah's response how he was his cut. And woe to me is his response. And he realizes his imperfection and his sinfulness before God. 
So we see Isaiah has seen the authority and the majesty of the Lord, and he sees himself as he really is, and how we all really actually are. Uh, We are originally created in God's image, so we might glorify him, but we have become part of the rebellion against our creator and fallen short of his glory. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. In our own strength, all of our mystical and ethereal spirituality is dead and useless. None of any of that will help us get into greater and closer communion with the Lord. We also see that spirituality is Christ-centered. Um, in, in the sense of our standing, we realize our need for a Savior. The Bible uh, bears witness about the Savior in passages like Ephesians 1.3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Such Christ-centeredness is evident in the rest of the New Testament as well. The gospel reveals who Jesus is, what he came to do. Jesus is declared to be the fountain of all knowledge and wisdom, Colossians 2.3, the one who sustains every particle of the universe and every fiber of our being, Colossians 1.16-17, Hebrews 1.3. He is set forth as the supreme reason for living in the first place, 2 Corinthians 5.9. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Hebrews 1.3. The name of Jesus is supreme, for there is no other name by which sinners can be saved. Acts 4.12. And finally, Christ is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 5.12. So spirituality is centered on, again, on Christ. But it's also gospel-centered. How can sinners approach a perfectly holy God? If we're still in our sins, the presence of God will terrify us and will not be invited in. Notice again how Isaiah cried out, Woe is me! Um, So our sins separate us from a holy God. Is righteous and just. He cannot let sin go unpunished. His wrath remains on those who continue in their rebellion against him. We were once, like the rest of mankind, rebels against God, children of wrath, Ephesians 2.3. But while we're still in our sins, uh, sorry, while we were still in our sins, there was an alienation and enmity between God and us. But Jesus bore that wrath in place of us. And if we trust in him and in his victory over death and resurrection, then, um, and we put our faith in what he's done for us, we can be forgiven, reconciled to God. And that is the good news of the gospel. Well, you, what you ask, does that have to do with biblical spirituality? It means that the center of our worship and spirituality rests on Christ and what he's done for us. We cannot think about Jesus too much. Access to God in prayer, worship, fellowship is all available to us because of the gospel. A passionate focus from us on the crucified Christ 
must be the central feature of any spirituality that claims to be biblical. So keep the gospel and Christ central to your spirituality. Now remember we talked about um, how worship is prescribed. How, where is it prescribed? In the scriptures. So spiritually has, spirituality has to be of the word. Um, we have to emphasize this point because today it is assumed that spirituality is something more profound than just words. The Bible is often left behind in favor of dreams and feelings and ecstatic experiences. I personally have known many Christians who seemingly got bored of studying the Bible. Um, And also, because of that application of Scripture in their life, they assume it's insufficient to deliver the kind of spiritual experience they're looking for. We've moved beyond Scripture. Now we're discovering something else, something new, a new experience. You've probably all heard some language like that. The Bible, however attests to its own divine authorship, its authority and its sufficiency. A famous passage some of you may be familiar with, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, says all of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So as Christians, we should be people of the book. The Bible is critical in the understanding and application of true spirituality. Its content and focus is God in Christ. Its practice is hearing the word of God by faith. Its experience is that of meeting God in his spirit-given words. Its result is trusting Christ and our Heavenly Father. And it's in its application, is the process of sanctification. Finally, we define spirituality uh, in that it is corporate. Um, We often uh, think, a lot of people do, that spirituality is a personal, private matter. It's something we do on ourselves in our prayer closet or something. But it is not only individual. It is also corporate. Fundamentally, we are members of communities, members of the body of Christ, and part of the people of God. So we are affected more than we realize by the communities to which we belong. So although this class is actually about personal spiritual disciplines, we must be careful not to neglect the corporate nature of the Christian life. Personal spiritual disciplines complement our life together as a church. So, if you think about some of the passages that describe our spiritual gifts and spiritual disciplines, they do actually have a significant corporate element. Um, The Bible intake part of our spiritual disciplines is where it equips us. We can see that it nourishes us and equips us to counsel and edify others. But it also should be a component of our intercession and of our prayers Confession of sin, another of our spiritual disciplines, is not just individual, but it's also corporate. We confess our sins to one another. And then, of course, the practice of 
uh, evangelism, for which we have another class, um, and then service and stewardship are carried out in partnership with our other believers. Um, and the fruit of the Spirit cannot be cultivated in isolation. It has to be done so in the body of other believers. So to summarize, understanding biblical spirituality has tremendous significance for how we think about our personal spiritual disciplines. Our practice of spiritual disciplines must be God-centered, Christ-centered, Word-centered. The Bible is foundational. Bible intake is not just one of the many spiritual disciplines. It is the primary resource that fuels our practice of the other spiritual disciplines. That's why Bible intake is some of the first lessons in our lesson outline. So, just remember, we do not practice the spiritual disciplines in isolation. Rather, we grow in maturity together as members of the local church. Any questions about how we're defining spirituality? Does that make a clear enough distinction between the spirituality of the world and the spirituality of the Bible? Everyone good? Nodding heads, good. So finally, in our last six to 11 minutes, we're going to define sanctification. What is sanctification? To better understand how spiritual disciplines relate to our sanctification, let us first examine what the Bible teaches about it. The word sanctify means to make holy or grow in holiness. There's three points I have. First, it begins at conversion. Hebrews 10.10 says that at the moment of justification, we have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is what theologians refer to as positional sanctifications. Sanctification. Uh, we see this in passages that imply that believers have once and for all been sanctified. It involves a definite break from the ruling power of the love of sin so that we're no longer ruled and dominated by sin and we no longer love sin. We've been reoriented. Our desires are no longer um, dominated by that love for sin in our lives. So this is why Christians are commonly called saints in the New Testament. Uh, This term, saint, is not some sort of elite group of Christians who have done better than everybody else, as other denominations um, define it. Um, It's... Uh, Paul, for example, tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3 that they have been sanctified by virtue of their conversion. It says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we all belong to the realm of the holy. We are sanctified definitively in relation to God. Second point about sanctification is that it increases throughout life. 
The second sense of sanctification is commonly understood as progressive growth, progressive growth of godliness in a Christian's life. So that Hebrews passage, I quoted 10.10, and it goes on to say in 10.14, it describes this ongoing process. It says that for by a single offering, Jesus has perfected, this is one point in time, for all time, and then it switches tense. It says, for all time, those who are being sanctified. And so it describes that ongoing process. Um, so we see a, lots of instruction in the New Testament uh, about this ongoing process. Um, all of the moral exhortations and commands in the New Testament exhort believers to greater sanctification in their lives. I would give you more example of this, but for the sake of time, I'm going to skip through a couple of those examples. Other than to say, if you want to jot this down, um, read through Romans 6.19 uh, and Philippians 3.12-15 for further reference. We're going to fin finish up um, the progressive nature of sanctification by reading Hebrews 12.1. It says, Lay aside every weight which sin and sin which clings so closely uh, and run the race set before us. It also goes on in verse 4 to say, Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So a question to you all. Is it clear to us the distinction between justification and ongoing sanctification, and why that distinction is important. Justification, one moment in time through Christ, and then sanctification is the ongoing process in our lives toward righteousness and toward Christ-likeness. So finally, sanctification is an ongoing process, and it only gets completed when Christ returns. It's never going to be completed in this life. It involves the whole person, including our physical bodies. Um, but once we appreciate the concept that it's completed when Christ returns, um, we realize that uh, when the Lord returns, we will have our newly resurrected bodies, 1 Corinthians 15. We await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. At that time, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. John 1, 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are, now, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know is that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So the ultimate goal of sanctification is Christ-likeness. We are in Christ and God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Our glorification is the ultimate end that God has purpose for his people. God chose us in Christ with the ultimate goal that we would be holy and blameless before him when we appear in his presence. To whom God has called and justified, he will also glorify God, who began a good work in us, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6. So that is how we are defining sanctification this morning. And any questions about sanctification in general?
All right. So our last part here is implications for the practice of spiritual disciplines. So let's see if we can kind of summarize real quick in the last few minutes um, what we've learned. First of all, we practice spiritual disciplines because we have already been sanctified in Christ. So our ethical demands or the imperatives of Scripture in this always flow from our state of being in Christ. So yes, there are commands, but it comes from our our state positionally in that we are saved and able to operate in what God has provided for us. Also, we practice spiritual disciplines because we need to grow in godliness. We live in that interval between the already and the not yet. We've been sanctified in Christ, yes, but our sanctification is not yet complete and will only be completed when Christ returns. We still need to make progress in our sanctification. We experience that tension and struggle throughout life, and so we need to constantly exhort one another to grow in Christ-likeness. Good news is we've been freed from sin's dominion, Yet, we must consciously choose to present ourselves in obedience to God and prevent sin from exercising its rule in our lives. Uh, Another implication is we practice the spiritual disciplines because our hope of glory is in Christ. In Christ is certain. A hope of glory in Christ should motivate us to pursue godliness and the practice of spiritual disciplines. We're all all people who are looking forward, who have hope, who have a purpose to move forward in the spiritual disciplines so that we can be more like Christ and great gain in maturity. We can be sure, we know our hope is certain, so we can persevere in our pursuit of holiness. And we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord Jesus Christ. It will bring it to completion. It's a very hopeful place for us to be. Um, so there we go. That's an introduction to uh, how to grow, looking at spirituality, sanctification, terms spiritual and growth. I've listed a few questions for applications, some of them which I covered in line with our um, lesson today. But some of them are ones for you just to think and uh, meditate on. Um, I want you to think about why we need to learn the spiritual disciplines. I want you to ask yourself and challenge yourself, how well do you think you're growing in Christ? Uh, I want you to take it away and, and ensure that you clearly understand that the spiritual disciplines are not earn favor or gain salvation. Um, but also to know that uh, even if the, we sometimes go through that cycle, uh, that we cannot lose our salvation either as a result of not exercising those spiritual disciplines. So be thinking through that, be encouraged um, to uh, look to uh, upcoming lessons and find out some, in more detail what those spiritual disciplines are. And then uh, I pray and I hope uh, through teaching of the word, 
um, that we can grow together, learn together and grow together in those spiritual disciplines. So uh, let us close in prayer, 10.05, great timing. Um, and we can move on to the, the fellowshipping with one another. Oh, I'll announce this after we pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the work that you have done for us. Lord, we thank you that uh, even though we were dead in trespasses and sin, that you died for us so that positionally we can be righteous before you. But Lord, we thank you for in the, thankful in this life you have provided means and ways to grow more in Christ-likeness. And Lord, we see the benefit of that in our lives and the fruit of that in our fellow brothers and sisters. So Lord, please encourage us through your Holy Spirit to pursue these disciplines uh, today and as we go out the rest of the week and the rest of our lives. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So... Um,